0: Well, good morning, church. I'm glad that you are joining us this morning, whether you're right here in Washington or you're joining us in Vincennes or you happen to be online today. I'm just glad that you're making time in your schedule. You're making time to be encouraged, and I pray that's exactly what happens, that you find yourself recharged, renewed, reminded of some promises of God and ready to go about your week. You know, we're going to continue on in this series called Making Change. And for a minute, I just want you to picture this scene with me. It's Friday morning, you, uh, you roll out of bed, sling your legs over the side of the bed, and you get that good, you know, stretch in, and uh, then you hear your phone buzzing. You're like, man, who could be calling me this early in the morning, you think to yourself, but you look at the phone, you don't recognize the caller ID, um, but you reluctantly answer it. Hello, you say. Well, good morning, the other voice on the line says. Looks like you had a good night of sleep. Okay, you're a little spooked by now. Uh, who is this? You mumble in a half-awake voice. This is Jesus, the Son of God. What? You think to yourself, Jesus, what's going on? I know, it sounds crazy. It's me, though. I wanted to give you a call to see if it would be all right if I stopped by your house tomorrow night for dinner. I'm going to be coming back soon. I'd like to meet with some of the people that uh, are following me before we go up to heaven. Would it be all right if I, if I uh, come by for dinner? Wait. Time out. Is this really Jesus you think to yourself? If this is really Jesus, you tell me what I'm thinking about right now. You're thinking about what you always think about in the morning. Coffee, all right? And in hopes that somebody will bring a box of donuts to the office, right? Okay, it really is Jesus you think to yourself. And you want to come to my house for dinner tomorrow? Uh, Sure. All right, I'll see you at 6.30. And the phone hangs up. You look at the phone number again, you kind of pinch yourself, am I really awake or am I dreaming? Could that have really been Jesus, you think, to yourself? Jesus wants to come to my house for dinner? Uh, man, would he really do that? I guess he did do that with the tax collectors, uh, with Zacchaeus, right? Uh, he did that with the, the people that were hurting. I, I've had hurts, and suddenly it hits you. Jesus is coming to my house for dinner tomorrow. What's the first thing that you do? If you knew that Jesus was coming to your house, do you clean up the, uh, the kitchen table, fix that old broken chair at the table? You know, the one that Jesus is going to be sitting in. Do you call all your friends and say, Hey, you got to come to my house for dinner tomorrow night. Jesus is coming. Do you head down to the local butcher and get the primo cut of beef? Wait, Does Jesus eat steak, you think to yourself for a moment? Do you head to the barber or to the salon to get the fresh haircut? Do you go out and buy that new outfit or those dishes or do you call and talk with a caterer? If you knew that Jesus was coming to your house for dinner in the next 36 hours, what would you do? Here's what I can guarantee you, you would not do. You wouldn't say, well, let's just clear a little space here. Ah, the old broken chair, it'll hold him up. That's fine. You know what? I think we got plenty of leftovers in the fridge. Let's go take a smell. It smells. uh, Okay, they smell all right. I think we're all right with the leftovers. And you know those cookies from Monday, I know they're kind of crumbly, but they still taste all right. Um, You know what? I'll I'll worry about everything else tomorrow. Uh, What would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming to your house? One thing I can say for sure is I think we would all be Strategic. We'd all be prepared. We'd all take some things in mind, and we would try to make that dinner the very best dinner that we have ever had, the very best dinner that that we could provide for Jesus. And we surely wouldn't be handing him the leftovers from the fridge. Yet in the same breath, I understand this, that we oftentimes handle our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasures just the thing. Think about this, right? You You get the check, right? You've worked hard for it, and what happens first? Well, we got some debt. You got to pay those bills, and we got the mortgage or the rent. Um, You know what? I got the cable bill and the gym membership and the groceries and then the utilities. And well, you know what? I do need a couple new outfits, and I kind of wanted that new toy of mine. You know what? Here's a few leftovers. I'll toss those in the bucket on the way out of church. What if Jesus showed up? to that dinner and walked in and he had this nice box from the local bakery and he said, hey, I brought a cake and uh, you guys have your dinner and then you get the cake out and you open it up and there's nothing in there. And he says, oh yeah, the cake was really good. I saved the crumbs for you. Look, that's not Jesus either, right? Jesus would do what? He would give us his very best. The first, he would, he would provide the whole cake. Truth is, we didn't receive the leftovers from God, nor should we hand him our leftovers. Why? Because God loves you. There's a theme throughout Scripture of first. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up. And oftentimes at the back of Bibles, you have a thing called the concordance. Um, if your Bible doesn't have one, it's not like a bad Bible. It's just that some Bibles do and some don't. Um, but if you have that concordance, you can look up the term first. In my Bible, I found column after column of things that started with first. We had like first, firstborn, first begotten, first fruit, first ripe. It was filled with all these tiny little fonded words that started with first, because God thinks of the first in a different way than maybe we do. And this morning, I want to look at that theme of first as we continue on in this series called Making Change. So here's the first thing you need to know. God gave first. God made the first move. God took the first step. God placed the first call. We did nothing and God did everything. It's all prompted by God because he went first. He gave his what? His one and only son. I think the best passage of scripture that there could obviously be is right John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then once we believe in Jesus, it says that we become a part of the family. In the Bible, it says that Jesus is the firstborn among the many brothers and sisters. Church, we are a part of an expansive and innumerable family that starts with the firstborn, that is Jesus Christ. And what God did with the firstborn son, he sent him and sacrificed him. He didn't redeem us through apostles or preachers or prophets. No, he simply said, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my first. I'm going to give you Jesus. But now for some, other, some reason or another, uh, we believe God is out to get our money, don't we? God's not after our money. He's after our mind. God's not after our dollars. He's after our desires. Not, not looking for our salary. He wants our soul. That's where many, especially in Western culture, have gotten this wrong, that we believe that we need to do something else to earn our way into God's salvation, right? Maybe if I read my Bible enough, God will love me. Maybe if I pray enough, I'll be viewed as important. Maybe if I help enough people, God will see me as holy. Or maybe if I just do enough, God will say, I've done enough for you. Look, there are all kinds of spiritual rhythms that we need to implement into our life. Things like Bible reading and prayer, being a part of the community of other believers, what you guys are doing right now, the celebration of certain things, the the idea of generosity. But we don't do these things so that we might be loved by God. No, we do these things because we are loved by God. That's the paradigm shift that I think a lot of us need to make in our mind. To go from doing things out of obligation and instead doing them out of adoration, out of worship for God. Your standing with God is not about what you can give, it's about what he already gave. That's why I like what 1st John says. 1st John chapter 4 it says it simply like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then catch this, we love because he first loved us. God gave first, he took the first step. And God's not going to give up. He's gonna continue to run after us and to love us. The second truth you need to know is this, that God helps first. You know, if you're contemplating the decision of faith of maybe giving your life to the Lord, making Him Lord and Savior, being baptized, and you come to my office and you ask me as a pastor, or a minister, you say, you begin to flesh this out with me, you're probably going to hear something like this. You want to go do it right now? I had a guy come into my office a couple of weeks ago, and that's exactly what he heard, and it was almost like it caught him off guard. And then he was like, "Well, yeah, I guess so. Let's go do it, right?" Why would I say it like that? Well, because first things first, anytime throughout scripture, somebody believed, they coupled that belief with baptism. You you see it in the book of Acts in chapter eight, the Ethiopian, he, he, as soon as he understands who Jesus is and what Jesus gave, he's like, I've got to do something about it. And he's asked, what should he do? And he's told, you should give your life to the Lord in the baptistry. Now it wasn't a baptistry for him, right? It was a pool of water on the side of the road and they stop the chariot. he hops out and they get baptized. But here's the deal. Oftentimes, we think we have to do something else first, right? It usually comes out in terminology like this. Well, I have a few things I need to take care of first. Or, you know what, I've got to get my life in order first. Or, or you know what, I need to sober up first. Look, God wants your problems. Don't go to the bar to bury your problems. Don't go um, to, to the narcotics to, to handle your fears. You don't need to hide from the, 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 the things of, that, that cause your hurts, habits, and hangups. God is simply saying, hand me those struggles, hand me those problems, and let me help you. Around here at Bethany, we say we want people to come to do what? Know God and to live free. When you come to know God, you begin to live free. You don't need to figure it out first. You don't need to get your life in order first, so take your crud to the cross right? Bury your burdens in the baptistry, hand your hell to the healer. That's what the scripture would tell us to do. That's the promise. That's what we hear in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, he said, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God wants to help us right where we are at. I'm not sure why this is a struggle for us, And I say us because I need to include myself in this because I find myself oftentimes slipping back into that thing that maybe I need to do some more to earn God's grace for God to love me, right? Someday I'm going to like stand before God and he's going to have this, this giant scale and it's going to be all my good works and all my bad things that I've done. And if I 50, if I'm 51, 49 good, then I'm in good shape, right? And he's going to say, well, come on back in. You're good to go, Evan, right? That's not how it works. God helps first. That's who he is. And that should change who we are. With that in mind, though, then what does God ask for us? You see, I think that's where most Americans get this thing wrong. God isn't asking anything from us in order to change our standing with him. Our standing has already been secured in the finished work of Jesus. God is instead asking everything from us for us to fully experience what God has already given to us. Jesus tells us exactly that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. There's this um, recording of what is called the Sermon on the Mound. We looked at a, an earlier portion of it uh, a few weeks ago. But in verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or drink about your body, what you'll wear. And then it goes on, and he, he talks about, he says, See the flowers in the field? Look at the birds, right? He's saying they, they don't worry about what, where, where things are going to come from. They just simply trust God. And then it says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So you want to you save a whole world of heartache? The moment the problem surfaces is the moment you should take it to God. And say, God, here it is. Help me walk through this because that's who God is. God gave first. And God helps first, and that means God should be in first. This past weekend, we, uh, as you saw in our announcement, celebrated uh, baby dedication. And uh, many moms and dads, I think we had 20-plus parents that dedicated their children. My wife and I were a part of that as we dedicated our eight-month-old. And, man, the team here at uh, each of our campuses did such an amazing job putting together what was so purposeful, reminding us of the, what it means to raise your child for the Lord. I'm so thankful for, for Kara Arms, who's at our Vincennes campus, uh, for Morgan Thee, who's right here in Washington, as well as Bill Miller, and just the work that they put into this special day. And there, there was a, a great story that came out of this. As a part of that, uh, there was a family, the Worth family. This is Cassie and James. They are mom and dad to Ruger and Rossi, which those names are like awesome. I love those names, Ruger. That's a powerful name, right? And uh, they walked through this plan to raise their child in the Lord. And I love that Cassie recognized them. She thought, if I'm going to dedicate my parenting to the Lord, I first need to make sure my life is dedicated to the Lord. So in the day she dedicated her mothering, she dedicated her life by giving her life to the Lord in the baptistry. Right. Isn't that an awesome story about that verse, right? But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You want to be a good parent? Put God in first place in your goals of parenting. You want to be a good employee? Put God in first place in your work ethic. You want to have a great marriage? Put God in first place in your marriage. You want to be a great neighbor? Put God in first place on how you treat others. And if you want to handle your resources well, Put God in first place on how you take care of those resources. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this passage that we now refer to as the Shema. The Shema is uh, kind of parallel to what we know as the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. And the Shema has um, this, this central focus of putting God in first place. It's the highlighted portion of the scripture you're seeing on the screen right now. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Put him in first place. That's the simplified form of it. Then it goes on to say this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gate. Put them everywhere you know so that you'll remember to keep them in first place place what 's in first place in your life? you know in the New Testament it says that Christ should be the head of the body, we are the body of christ the church that 's what it tells us, and Christ should be the head, and the head is the thing that steers everything it 's in first place right we, we don 't go anywhere without our head, do we right The same is true in the church. we need Christ to be leading the way to be in first place so he can point us as the body of Christ, but oftentimes I find that, that life gets messy because we don't do this very well. We, we don't put Christ in first place. And literally, we find ourselves experiencing problem after problem. If you haven't placed God at the center of your life, your problems are just going to continue to run you over. You're going to feel like the darkness keeps sinking in. But in Matthew 11, we're promised this. if We hand him to God. It says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, God is not out to get, He's out to give. And God gave first, and God helps first, and so it means that God should be in first, which then means this God wants our first. There's a false stigma in the church about the talk of finances. For some reason or another, we, we start to bring up these topics, and some people cringe and are like, yeah, the church is always out to get a buck, aren't they? Right? Just gotta figure out a way to keep the lights on, that's what we think, right? You know, in Scripture, there are over 500 passages on prayer. 500 passages on prayer. That means, if somebody told you something 500 times, you probably would think that was pretty important, wouldn't you? Now, you know what, what, what else? It's true that there are some 500 passages on faith as well. God must have thought it was important to, to line this out for us. But you know as well, there are 2,000. Catch this. two thousand passages on money. Get this, one out of every ten verses in the New Testament deals with money. Does that just like blow your mind for a second? Like one out of every four teachings of Jesus, 25% of Jesus's teachings deal with resources. You know, at Bethany, we spend about three or four weeks a year talking about resources. Jesus was doing it one out of every four times. Why would he talk about finances and resources so much? Here's what I believe. This is what the scripture would tell us. Why talk about money? Well, how we handle our money will influence our relationship with God. Second, possessions compete with the Lord for control of our lives. And third, much of our day-to-day lives revolve around the use of money. So with that in mind, God wants first. How do we know that? Genesis chapter 4, we hear the story of Cain and Abel. It says this, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel... Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. What's the only difference between Cain and Abel's offering? Cain offered some. Abel gave his first. In the Bible, the talk of first is extremely significant. In, the day, uh, in that day, people lived, right, in a, a, an agrarian society. It was all about farming, right? The harvest was a significant moment that came after much work and labor. Some of you farmers that are in here right now are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I got three hours of sleep last night, right? We're trying to get them finished up, right? That's how it works for you. But we don't all experience that the same way that they experienced it back then. That, that was such a powerful moment. They, they would, the very first moment they harvest, the first fields that they gathered, they would take those very first fruits and they would hand them over to the Lord saying, I'm trusting you, Lord, that you're going to take these first and you're going to provide through the rest. They were literally reaping what they sowed and God's word. People were handing their first yield to the Lord saying, God, this is yours. And I'm going to trust the promise to come that says you will provide. That's why Proverbs chapter three, verse, verses nine and 10 says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new, new wine. Now, we live in a much different society, don't we? Like, not many of you get a check once a year that's supposed to cover the year's worth. that, right? We get like, bi-weekly or you get monthly checks or maybe you get weekly checks, right? You know, when my uh, check comes in and the first line item in my wife and I's budget is our giving. We want to say, Lord, here you are. Some of you automatically have that directly withdrawn from your account so that you can say, God, this is yours. That is an act of worship. What you're doing is saying, God, I'm handing you this, whether it's 10% or 15% or 20% or more, you're saying, God, you get the first amount and I'm going to trust that the rest will be enough, that God, you will provide through this. You know, the principle goes beyond our wallet, right? Right? Maybe for you, you're handing God the first moment of your day by opening his word and starting your day off by being filled with God's word. Maybe you're committing to to giving the first day of the week. What you're doing right now, worshiping the Lord, you're saying every single week, I'm prioritizing the time and fellowship with other believers because I know that God will be with me the rest of my week because I'm going to hand him my first. Maybe you're going to give God the moments before your meal. You're going to take time. And you're not just going to say that quick prayer. You're going to actually take time to thank him for the provisions that he brought to your table, for the people that have helped prepare the food. And you're going to say, God, I'm trusting that this will be enough to sustain my body and to give me what I need. All you need to do is to start where you're at, to use what you have, and to do what you can. To give him your first. And God will provide. You know, there are, there are much smarter people than me when it comes to being uh, sound financially into doing that in a, uh, a standing that is right biblically as well. One of those people is Howard Dayton, um, and uh, he is quoted saying this, God is both predictable and unpredictable. He's absolutely predictable in his faithfulness to provide in our needs. What we cannot predict is how the Lord will provide. Sometimes he uses various and surprising means of meeting our needs. Regardless of how he chooses to provide for our needs, he is utterly reliable. Boy, I found that to be true in my life, that God always provides. It's not always the way I saw fit, but he always gives me what I need to get through and to do the the thing that he would have me do. You know, after World War II, um, there were lots of children that were left as orphans throughout Europe. And the story goes that uh, as those children uh, began to be gathered up by allied uh, soldiers and brought into orphanages, that... um, that they, they, they began to feed them. Some of these kids had, had longed for food, had, uh, were scrounging all over the place, didn't know where their next meal was going to come. So when they got to these orphanages, they were like just eating it up, like give me food, give me food. But what they found was that the kids were having trouble sleeping. So psychologists came in and were trying to figure out why is it that they're sleeping so poorly? And what it was was they were fearful that in the time that they slept, something would happen and that they would not get food the next day. They weren't sure where their next meal would come from. How would they be provided for? Now, they could have food anytime they needed, anytime they wanted it, but when they were sleeping, they were afraid to sleep because they thought they would lose that meal. So the psychologists tried something. They handed each kid a slice of bread. The bread wasn't necessarily there to be eaten at night. It was just simply there to be held, to remind them that there will be something for you tomorrow when you wake. You will be provided for. So here's my question. What are you holding on to? What's the thing that you go to sleep at night thinking about? Is it your wallet, your purse, your bank account, cold, hard cash that brings you security of what's going to be in the days ahead? Are you holding on to Jesus? Saying, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know who holds tomorrow. You know, we we, we live in a very volatile society, right? We, we've not figured that out over the last, like, You know, 11 months, something's wrong with you, all right? We need to have a talk after service, right? This this world is messy, it's broken, and we don't know know if the dollar's going to be even worth anything in a month's time. But you know what we can be assured of? We know where God will stand, and we know that God will provide for us. And then the final thing you need to know this. God is first. Whether whether or not you decide this in your heart, God is first. First in the book of Revelation, it's recorded like this: it says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Someday the eastern sky is gonna split, and this earth is gonna be wrapped up, and God's gonna vanquish the evil and the, the trouble and the heartache and the problems. And everything that we've experienced in this world, and he's going to give us his full glory. He's going to give us what he has already done in his first fruit, Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruit of God's eternal harvest. And God will do with his children what he has already done with Jesus. He's going to call us out of the grave and into his wonderful light. How do we know that? Because God does with the rest what he does with the first. In the meantime, somebody's calling us. Scripture says it like this. These are Jesus' words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for building a relationship on the first, giving us your firstborn. And God, I pray that we would give you our first. God, thank you for loving us. I pray that as uh, we walk out of this place, that uh, we would hold tight to you. I pray if there are decisions to be made, that God, you would allow those steps to be taken. That we wouldn't wait till tomorrow, but we would hand you our first today. And God, I, I ask that as, um, as we walk out of here, we'd be encouraged, we'd be reminded, and we'd be ready to go about our week. We love you, and we say all this in Christ's name. Amen.